the way you did your taxes one year is not necessarily the way you can do your taxes the second year. You don't make your money the same way year to year. You don't spend your money the same way year to year. Actors who have sometimes 10, 15 W-2s, sometimes cash income, their deductions vary from year to year. Sometimes they have a manager, sometimes they have an agent and a manager, sometimes they have just the agent. It's a myriad of situations, so make sure you go to somebody who you can trust. You're listening to Inside Acting, a podcast dedicated to demystifying the inner and outer game of success in the entertainment industry. I'm your co-host, Trevor Algott. And I'm AJ Meyer. And coming up in episode 182, we've got another Ricka Ricka Redux. That's right. That time of year again, folks. What time? Everyone's favorite time, tax season. So we thought we'd reach way back into the backlog of the podcast, all the way back to episode 13 to bring you an interview with Chuck Salone of Chuck Salone & Associates. They specialize in filing taxes for actors and other artists, which means this interview is packed full of actor tax advice you can't live without. In part one, Chuck breaks down everything from expenses, deductions, mileage, and more. It's all coming up in episode 182, so stick around. This episode of Inside Acting is brought to you in part by Rehearsal 2, the app for actors. If you want to learn your lines, be off book for your auditions, explore your character, and make stronger choices, there is an awesome app for that, and it's called Rehearsal 2. Not one, but two. It's the sequel, people. You can download it now at rehearsaltheapp.com slash download. That's rehearsaltheapp.com slash download, and thank us later. Hey, dude. Uh, how you doing? I'm all the way over here in New York now. <laughs> yeah, you're you're in the freezing cold part of the country, and I'm over here in the sunny Los Angeles. The yeah. lull part of the country. So, so tell our listeners, AJ, why it's it may be cold there in New York right now, but that doesn't mean that global warming is a hoax. Am I correct on this? Wow, you are putting me on the hot seat. We didn't talk about this before we started recording. We, you know, we didn't at all, but I got into it with a few sort of distant family members on Facebook. I didn't I didn't get into it. I didn't take the bait. But man, they were so angry that I would dare to post something about Obama vetoing the Keystone XL pipeline on my Facebook. And they just went after me, calling me brainwashed, calling me a zombie, calling me a liberal idiot. And how how basically their argument was was that, oh, it's, you know, the East Coast is getting their asses kicked by winter right now, so global warming is a hoax. And I wanted to be like, I wanted to be like, what if I told you that your inability to grasp science is not an argument against it? <laughs> what if I told you that? What, what would I was you say? Just, I was just going to say, oh, it's it's a hoax? How about science? Um, yeah, sorry. Well, hey, speaking of the Keystone Pipeline, I did see that photo that you posted, and I was going to say, like, uh, there, um, John Stewart did this awesome thing about it on The Daily Show that people should check out if they if they feel so inclined, where he kind of breaks down why it's 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 kind of BS both ways because we have so many pipelines coming into yeah. the United States from Canada already that it's kind of like 
one more one this one just became like the poster child for like the fight against climate change which is fine with me because we can actually make something you know a symbol of, yeah exactly of like change symbolic, and, and yeah. making progress so it is it is symbolic exactly yeah but um yeah i don't i i don't know the i can't rifle off the exact science though i have read a lot about it about how climate change um is actually causing non-hot events to happen yeah. on the planet yeah. things yeah. like hurricanes and tornadoes and arctic what do they call it arctic vortexes polar, polar, polar vortexes, polar vortexes yeah. like yeah. we are experiencing right now so yeah. uh yeah thanks humans yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, my my understanding is that it's the a, a more accurate term would be global weirding. And I know we're taking a lot of time here at the podcast to talk about the weather. But this stuff's important. We're we're a very sort of conscientious group uh, us inside acting people and I think this is something that most kind of liberal sort of open-minded artists, creative people care about. You know, our impact on the world around us. It's something that just kind of comes with the territory of being a creative person. But um, yeah, global weirding is sort of more accurate, meaning that like the the sort of pendulum is going to swing further and further and further in each direction. So our summers are going to get hotter and drier, and our winters are going to get colder and snowier and freezing or freezing or. <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah. Just because it's cold there doesn't mean that uh, it's not happening. The same yes. way that if you just ate a meal doesn't mean that world hunger doesn't exist. Nicely done. So any anyway, uh, you. You, speaking of cold, speaking of winter, speaking of ice, <laughs> you're going to take advantage of this. Uh, Tell our listeners uh, what you are up to. I wanted to sort of empower our listeners because I, I, I know that's kind of our mission uh, on this podcast and we do it a lot. And I talked about, you know, a way of empowering ourselves in the last episode. In this episode, a different version of that. Ever since I was a kid, I mean, I've been watching hockey since I was, since I had eyes. Um, <clears throat> ever since I was a child, I've always had this dream of playing. And I played a little bit of street hockey when I was a kid. But the thing is, is when you're living in, in the deserts of Southern California, not only are there not a lot of opportunities to play hockey, but it's very expensive. It's expensive to join a league. The insurance um, is expensive for the league, so so they pass that expense on, uh, along to the participants. The equipment is really expensive. And my family growing up, like, we didn't well, – I mean, we were working class. You know, my parents did a fantastic job. Hi, Mom. I know she listens to the podcast. Um, they did a great job, but, like, it was it was not – in the cards to uh, to 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 play hockey. So now that I'm older, I refuse to let money stop me in any way, shape, or form. So uh, my parents actually don't know this yet. So we, they do now. <laughs> yeah, they do now. <laughs> they're about to. I, they're about to. I went out and I bought all of the equipment necessary. I've been doing a ton of research and I found like, you know, I'm living in the Northeast now too. So I found uh, all of the sort of uh, amateur leagues in the in the area and I am gonna go out and, and start playing hockey because why not <laughs> yes 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 that's awesome man and this is something we've talked about countless times in the show but how these kind of life experiences make you that much deeper and uh, more authentic of an actor yeah but Jasmine jokingly asked me oh what is Sandy my manager gonna think about that and I said you know what I don't care <laughs> like <laughs> 
I'm going to go and live my life. Um, I have health insurance now, so if I break a limb or something, then I break a limb. Guess what? <laughs> it will be the first time in my life I will have ever broken a limb, so I will be able to experience that, which will be awesome. And then if I go and play yeah. somebody who has a broken limb, I'll know what it feels like. You'll have that much more <laughs> sympathy. Mic That's drop. Great, of course, we don't. We don't. <laughs> yeah, right. Mic drop. We don't wish broken limbs or bones or anything on anybody, but. Um, I can say, you know, just from experience, breaking my wrist, uh, I I understand now. I have a lot more sympathy towards people, you know, who have that kind of thing. So yeah, don't go. wish that for you at all. But uh, good way to look at it. I like that. I like how the sort of mental preparation for the broken bones to come. It, possibly. Possibly. I, I don't think that will happen. But all that yeah. to say that, like, I'm just not letting money you know, stop me from anything that I want to do in my life. And, um, you know, it's like I could take this money and, and put it towards acting classes, but it, it's like what you were just saying. There's, there's acting classes and there's life experience. And I think both go towards filling the well of your, of your talent, your raw, right, your right. raw talent. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so, so let me ask you a devil's advocate question here. Yeah. In the spirit of both and, could you take acting classes and do workshops and things like that and do this hockey stuff? Or are there other ways that you're maybe, because I know you're doing like, you know, musical development workshops and things yeah. like that. So is that kind of feeding the sort of acting class place in your life while you kind of divert the the funds that you have at your disposal at the moment towards the hockey thing? Of course. And I wasn't even, I wasn't talking about necessarily um, time. I was just talking about money. In other words, like... Right. I, I will I will still of course be making the time for my acting career and making the time for my other responsibilities in my life, but the uh, like you were just saying like the money is being diverted in this direction just temporarily, you know. Right. Uh, right. My 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 goal here we go. I'll tie it back into the episode. I'm planning on paying for it all with uh, with my tax refund. Another mic drop. There you go. Boom. Yeah, we'll have plenty of time to talk about taxes in a little bit. <clears throat> Yes. In the meantime, uh, we do great. have to move on because we've taken up a lot of time with hockey and climate change, which are yeah. two very interesting topics. Two things that nobody tuned into this podcast to hear about. Right. And we uh, have a lot of like news to talk about. Um, first and foremost, just a big shout out. We've done it on social media, but a big shout out to our guest, J.K. Simmons, friend of the podcast. He was the first Oscar winner of the night because they started with Best Supporting Actor. He is our first Oscar winner on the show. That's the first time we've had a, a, one of our guests be an Academy Award winner that I know of. Um, I don't think anyone else has, so that was very, very exciting. So big congratulations to, to him. I also noticed, speaking of climate change, I also noticed that it was a very um, advocacy-filled Academy Awards, and I wanted to get your mm. thoughts on this, Trev. I noticed that a lot of people used it as a platform um, to talk about, you know, obviously we had the Patricia Arquette thing. Um, you had the uh, director of uh, Birdman talking about, you know, Mexico. You had John Legend and Common talking about race in America. Like it was crazy. Like every other speech was some kind of advocating for, for something, some kind of human right. I, I posted on Twitter, can we just call this the human rights Oscars and call it a day? Because uh, I am extremely <laughs> proud to be an actor and filmmaker this evening. So I haven't seen it happen that much in one Oscars. I've seen it happen, but it seemed to happen a lot in this Oscars. And I thought it was kind of cool. So I yeah, want to hear your, yeah. your thoughts on that before we move on to something. 
Sure. I actually didn't watch the Oscars this year. I was teaching a class uh, while the Oscars were going on, and I actually had several students that were also rather be in class than than, uh, than watching the Oscars. So it was, it was an odd sort of kind of pairing. It was the first time where I was like, wait, not everybody in this town puts their entire lives on hold to watch this? Oh, no. There's a lot of people who – who either boycott it or just don't care. <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I wanted to see it, but I actually heard that was something that I kind of heard just around in my various circles as a criticism of the Oscars, that a lot of the people thought, you know, like, just stick to acting. Stop using your celebrity as a platform to voice your your beliefs and things like that. They, they felt they were being imposed on as audience members, which I thought was interesting. So I don't know how much advocacy was was kind of put out there, but just, you know, looking through Twitter and things like that, I just saw a lot of people saying, like, Shut up already about that and just let's get back to the acting thing. So I am all for people standing up for what they believe in and making their their kind of the world they want to see, making that known and make and, and helping to bring that into existence in whatever means possible. Doing it tastefully, of course, mm-hmm. uh, and respectfully. But it's I have no problem with it. But I, I thought it was interesting that some people did. Yeah, that's weird. Uh, to, yeah, yeah. Change the channel. Like what? 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 What are you complaining about? Yeah. Like, okay, uh, go ahead and uh, I guess you can be an ostrich and bury your head in the sand. And I don't know. Mm-hmm. That seems strange yeah. to me. This episode of Inside Acting is brought to you by VO to Go Go, the award-winning voiceover training system and winner of Backstage's Reader's Choice Award for Best VO Training four years in a row. That's amazing. Visit VO2GoGo.com slash start for a free getting started in voiceover online class that'll help you add voiceover to your online portfolio. That's VO, the number two, GoGo.com slash start. Trevor and I want to dedicate some time, maybe, maybe Trevor, you want to do this next episode. We want to dedicate some time to talking about the uh, 99-seat theater situation in Los Angeles. Uh, for those of you who have not been following along, there's a, a, a large sort of uh, sea change upheaval happening there. And it, it affects people not just in Los Angeles because it has to do with like actors unions and setting precedents for other markets and things like that. So, um, Trev, do you, I don't know if we have time to cover it right now. I, I would love to take just a few minutes just to at least put the basics out there and then maybe, uh, you know, if there's any kind of developments this week, we can bring them up next week. But I want people to be aware of this and thinking about it because I actually wasn't. I mean, I, I'd heard vaguely about it and uh, a friend of ours had added me to a Facebook group that's that's very against the, the sort of proposed changes by actor, Actors' Equity. Uh, but essentially what's going on um, is that Actors' Equity, and you're a member of Actors' Equity, so I'd love to get your take on this. And I, we've only got a few minutes here to kind of talk about it. But Actors' Equity, from my understanding, basically there's a we're, we're at a weird time where we're up for some sort of renewal with a contract. The, the way it's been working in the past is that Equity members, Actors' Equity members, which is like the, the stage union the, or the union for stage actors, can do 99-seat theater and there's sort of like a waiver in place. Like they can go on there and do it and they don't need to worry about a lot of the sort of union rules. Uh, But now that's up for renewal and equity wants to basically fight for all equity actors getting, I think, at least minimum wage per hour for every hour of rehearsal and performance that those actors are involved in, which on the surface seems like a very good thing. But a lot of – first of all, the 99-seat theater kind of world is vast, just extremely vast, and it's thriving. In Los Angeles, I think it's bigger than anywhere else in the country, possibly the world. It's just thriving. 
And if this rule were to go into effect, there are a ton, a ton of actors that would not be able to do 99-seat theater anymore. And you'd think like, well, there's plenty of actors out there. But the thing is, equity actors, it's not like there's a ton of equity work to go around. So when you're between equity gigs getting, you know, I think it's like the average is like 700 bucks a week or something as an, for an equity. Is that about right? It depends on the contract. I mean, okay. you know, it, there are contracts that are, <clears throat> you know, 140 dollars a week or something and then there's contracts that are over a thousand dollars i mean it just depends on the size of the theater what kind of show what the contract is etc okay but yeah i mean the the idea being that like you know there's those those contracts are not really there's there's not a lot of them i mean there's not a lot of actors that make a uh, a full-time living doing that kind of stuff i mean it happens but it's pretty rare but there are a lot of opportunities for actors to get up and do work that they're passionate about that they want to be involved with in the 99 seat theater world and very few people get paid in the 99 seat theater world and if this this thing were to go through if equity were to actually succeed in getting all equity actors minimum wage at least for every hour that they work on a show um, not only would those actors be unaffordable to all these productions but they'd also, if they were to, to, to get a part of the production, that means everybody else would be getting paid like dick compared to this one actor who'd be taking home a ton of money. Uh, so there's a lot of arguments for and against it. And I actually uh, see and agree with many of them on each side. But I wanted to kind of just put it out there into the world of people who maybe haven't heard of it yet and just start the conversation about this because I, I think I'm pretty against this, to be completely honest. But I'm not equity. So doesn't really affect me either way. However, uh, looking at the kind of landscape of 99-seat theater in Los Angeles, I could see how it would have a dramatic impact. And there are companies out there like Antaeus and I think uh, Theater of Note or maybe not Theater of Note, but there's other ones that are, that are built on the idea that they have equity members only in their, in their productions uh, for, for many of them. It's like their, their core group is only equity members. So if this rule were to, to kind of go through, those companies would just completely dissolve they just fall apart they, their entire model would just be extinct and they you know that'd be a true loss of of artistry so i just talked i know for like five minutes straight but i'd love to hear <laughs> no, your yeah, that was a great breakdown of it actually that was um <clears throat> that was really thorough and put in very you know uh I don't want to say layman's term, for lack of a better term, layman's terms, like basically for terms that everyone can understand essentially. So I thought you did a really good job. You know, there are people out there who who will who have said things to me like equity went and ruined uh, small theater in New York because they did exactly this. Oh, so it already happened in New York? I'm pretty sure. I, I, I don't wow. know the history of it, and I'm sure there are people out there who do. Um, if, if you're listening to this and you do, I'd love to, to hear your thoughts. But yeah, I think they did something similar in New York. It sort of brought down all small theater in, in New York. Shame, man. Yeah. That's so tragic. I mean, your explanation of it was correct, and it really just depends on you know where you fall in the, in the sort of argument and, and, and sort of gathering those resources. I think I think uh, one of the most unfortunate thing that's happening right now is well, there's a couple of things. A lot of misinformation going around. Uh, for instance, uh, there was this knowing that this change was impending. Someone who I shall not name, who shall remain nameless, um, started this group called Reimagine LA Theater and got a bunch of actors to actors and other artists to sign up for it, who all believed that there does need to be some kind of change or update or evolution of 
the way that the 99 seat theater works in, in Los Angeles, but not necessarily this particular plan. So they all signed up thinking like, yeah, this, you know, there, there definitely need, it's, it's time. It's time. It's 2015. It's time for an evolution. Yeah, absolutely. And wanting to stay in touch and figure out, you know, uh, what that might look like. Turns out that the people behind this particular movement were actually for a plan that looked similar to the uh, equity proposal. So <clears throat> those people are feeling kind of duped. And um, like I said, there's a lot of other, that's just one example. There's a lot of other misinformation out there. You know, it's really just important if you're, if you're affected by this, if you're um, a union member, if you live in Los Angeles, if you're an actor that's planning on moving to Los Angeles, I mean, this affects a lot of people. If you want to get involved and, and find out more, do your homework, do your research, and sort of decide for yourself. You know, mm. um, I, I personally, I think as an equity member, as someone who is union and would quote unquote benefit from the, the, the pay increase, so to speak, as someone who is union, I, I, I am actually against the plan. I mean, for a number of different reasons, not the least of which being that the Los Angeles Theater Ensemble would never have existed. Right. We would have never been have been put, able to put on any of the war cycle, let alone all of it. And it's going to decrease the amount of work available, period. Right it's going now, to decrease the amount of work done. You know? <clears throat> right, exactly. And yeah. right, right now I can do an equity waiver show, no problem. Under this proposed plan, almost all of the 99C theater in L.A. would just completely shut down because they wouldn't be able to afford, yeah. uh, they yeah. wouldn't be able to afford uh, productions. I, as an equity, as a, as a union member, it's like, yay, I get paid minimum wage. Oh, there's no work. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And you're in a unique position because you, you know, your equity membership has really come in handy. You've you've done some pretty, you know, legit theater. I mean, you were up in San Francisco doing of Mice and Men. You're out in New York off Broadway doing Heather's. But if something like this went through, and you don't have to, this is really cruel of me, but I'm just wondering if you have an answer. Uh, let's say this happens. Wouldn't be the first time you put me on the spot. This, <laughs> I know, this, seriously. This episode. <laughs> <laughs> this, is what, this is what Trevor does to AJ on the show. Uh, were this to go through, would you drop out of equity? I, I wouldn't be able to. I, I wouldn't be... I mean, that would be like the ultimate protest. And mm. I totally get that. But at the same time, that is so tied to my livelihood now. I would yeah, not. I would yeah. not be able to. Yeah, I it's mean, a difference. It's, it's it's different. I mean, you, you've been able to get a lot, generate a lot of work in that area, and you consistently work in that area. And in New York, it's a different, slightly different landscape than LA. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. I can't imagine being non-equity and go. Yeah, if I, I mean, it would be challenging just to get an audition. Yeah. Interesting, man. Interesting. Well, like I said, you know, there's there's two sides to the story, um, and both AJ and I agree with both sides, uh, or at least certain aspects of both sides of the argument. Although I think it's clear that we skew towards one of those sides, uh, just kind of morally speaking. Uh, but I would love to hear from listeners or people that are um, kind of more familiar with the matter. Um, let us know if we've gotten anything wrong. Let us know what 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 the kind of current situation is, what the climate's like. Uh, not not like the world climate, but the climate um, in this kind of argument or this uh, this situation uh, and, and any developments. And I would love to hear our, have our listeners chime in. Yeah, I mean we'll keep we'll keep you updated. I guess uh, I guess that's all she wrote before the interview. Yeah. Yeah, man, let's do it. I'm excited to uh, to sit down with Chuck and um, get the get the good word out there. 
we're just going to go ahead and jump right in. So thank you so much for being with us, Chuck. Well, it is a pleasure to be here. Thanks. Thank you for doing it. The first question I wanted to ask you, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Were you living in Los Angeles and thinking to yourself that there wasn't a, were you performing and there wasn't a, a someone out there who was doing what you do now? There wasn't a, a, a good enough tax person out there doing this stuff for the actors? Came to LA when I was 34, 35 years old. I had been a businessman for years and I thought this is the right look, the right time. I had experience and I said, I'm going to go to Hollywood and, and give it a shot as an actor. I had no intention of, of doing taxes. I was just like every other actor in the world. I kept my receipts uh, the first time I had to do my taxes as an actor, my understanding was I asked my roommate who did his. Right. He said, well, uh, I asked so-and-so. Where did he find out? And I think it was out of the penny saver. So that was the wow. background and understanding of, of where we came up with our guy who did our taxes. I sat down with a guy. Uh, he did the taxes by hand. He asked me what I thought were very intelligent questions. Uh, he seemed to be a nice guy. He seemed to be knowledgeable, and he did a fine job. Later on, I realized I lost about $500 a year because he hadn't put the deductions in the right place in the right way. But I realized also that wasn't his fault. It was my fault. Uh, I didn't understand enough about the process, and so I trusted him. Mm -hmm. And I trusted him to do the right job. And uh, in the meantime over those three years that I, used, that I made use of him, I lost $1,500 that certainly as a beginning actor, if you will, I needed desperately to pay for pictures, head, you know, the headshots, the duplication, right. or classes. It was my fault, not his. And it was because I didn't know enough about the process myself. I got started in it, though, because like most actors, when it came to withholding, and I was very fortunate to start working quickly, so I started getting residuals quickly, one studio was withholding at 25%, and I wanted that money in my pocket, withholding the federal taxes at 25%. So on a residual, you lost 25% of federal taxes, plus 7.5% for uh, Social Security and Medicare, then another 10% for your agent. Very, very quickly, you were up to close to 50%. Yeah. That's on a residual. So in any case... The other studio over here was not taking anything out for federal taxes, which I just thought, that's what I like. Oh, yeah, I want all the money I could to live <laughs> right, on. Right. I thought that was right. So I called Studio A, and I said, how come you're taking out as much as 25%? And they said, because we can. And I wow. thought, whoa, don't, don't challenge me like that. <laughs> so I started reading up on it. And as I read up on it, I realized they could. They did have the right. And I thought, well, if they have the right to take it, then I'm going to find out everything I can to get it back, put it back into my pocket. And one thing led to another. And the more I learned, the more I started helping other people. In the process of helping people, I realized virtually nobody seems to know about taxes. That's how one step led to another, and I started helping people. And the process of helping people, I realized uh, there's a lot of misinformation out there. There's a lot of people that think they know what they're doing. They think they, you know, they hear from Aunt Sally, they hear from this person over here. Eventually one, one step led to another, led to another, and, and here I am. I want to go back to what you said about not knowing, though, and how you said it was your fault. What, 
resources were available then and what resources are available now. I mean, I feel like with the internet, it's a little bit easier because you can sort of do your own research uh, easier without having to, God forbid, go to a library and look up books and that kind of thing. But wh- what were your resources at the time then and what kind of resources would you recommend now? Well, instead of being able to just simply go to irs.gov, irs.gov, I went to what's called post office or library and there were books out there there's one large manual that's out there called Publication 17, which the IRS publishes every single year, mm-hmm. that really encompasses most of the information that you'll ever need to know. And then, of course, there are people that publish large, thick books every year. The difficulty is why, why do you need to go through them? They're so general in the information that most people never need to go through and learn everything that's in them. Right. Even tax preparers only need the, the basic classes, learn where to find the information if you ever need to go to the book to look for it. And these books are so thick, it's just overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And for actors to, to be, it's a brick wall coming at them instead of a bunch of little bricks. The secret is to know how to break that brick wall into the bricks and to know which brick to look for and, and you just have to get started. You just have to take one step at a time and figure it out. But the real key is to make sure that whoever you're going to to get your taxes done with walks you through the process and explains one step at a time. And you can't do it in one visit. You can't do it in two visits. It's going to take three or four or five visits before you start to have the process demystified. And when it starts to do that, unfortunately, a lot of actors go, well, then... Oh, I can do this at home. Well, no, you really can't. The way you did your taxes one year is not necessarily the way you can do your taxes the second year. You don't make your money the same way year to year. You don't spend your money the same way year to year. Um, So when I see those ads on TV telling people how easy it is to do your taxes at home, it might be for most families out there who have one job for the husband and one job for the wife who have a home they're writing off their home mortgage and their, and their real estate taxes and maybe a few charitable deductions. No problem. But not for actors who have sometimes 10, 15 W-2s, sometimes cash income. Their deductions vary from year to year. As you said, sometimes they have a manager, sometimes they have an agent and a manager, sometimes they have just the agent. It's a, it's a myriad Right. Of, of situations. So make sure you you go to somebody who you can trust. And we were kind of talking before the podcast, before we started recording here, about um, the cash income, the 1099 forms. Um, I do a, a children's theater here in L.A. at uh, 24th Street Theater, which is over by USC. I'm technically privately contracted with them, so I get 1099 forms from them at the end of the year. And so that is exactly what got me on my taxes last year. I would love for you to talk a little bit about that and also about this whole business registration that the, the city, city of Los, Los Angeles, Angeles requires. Yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, one of the reasons we're recording tonight, as you said, is that the city of L.A. has a business tax issue. They call it a business tax. It's really just a business license issue. They, they passed an ordinance about six years ago that stated if you make cash income in the city of Los Angeles and you file taxes using what's called a Schedule C, which is in essence is you make cash money. Now, cash money from a tax perspective is 
a 1099 cash mm-hmm. check, even you collect MasterCards and the like. If you collect this cash money, you have to report that income on a Schedule C. When you file this cash income on a Schedule C for your federal return, a copy of it is sent into the state of California. The city of Los Angeles and a couple of other cities petitioned state legislature to have the state legislature pass a law stating that when this Schedule C's are filed, these cities are informed of this information that residents within their cities use the Schedule C. Now, the only information the cities get is that you live in the city of L.A. and you file the Schedule C. C. It doesn't say what you did. It doesn't say how much money you did because that's private information. You have to understand that when you file a tax return with the IRS, it's confidential. But the fact that you filed the Schedule C and that your address is the city of Los Angeles is not. You're filing that information as well with the state of California. So that information is given to the city. Well, if you don't have a business license, when they compare a year later the records to see if you had a Schedule C and if you had filed for a business license, if you don't have the license, then apparently in the mind of the city, you're in violation of their laws. So they come after you saying you didn't have a business license and we're going to get you now. And the basic business license is supposedly something like $105. And since you don't have the business license, we're going to, at one point they were saying, we're going to fine you 105 plus another 105 for the penalty. And now we're going to charge you interest on it. And I think the first year that they tried to institute this program, they were threatening people with fines as much as $3,000. Wow. And sending out these letters that were, and, and people were just getting scared and in some cases paying it. Mm-hmm. As through the years, they've kind of come around to they're not quite that bad, but they still are sending out letters. And they, you don't get these letters for eight, nine months later that says this is your final notice. And, of course, people are going, when did I get the first <laughs> notice? But this is your final one? notice. Yeah. And it, it says you owe, and, it, and they base it on $110,000. So if you just take $5 per 1000 times $110,000, suddenly you find yourself owing... $5,000? Yeah. And interest and penalties in this huge bill. And not, not infrequently, two or three days later, you'll get a phone call from a collection agency saying that, uh, you know, if you don't pay this bill, we're going to come after you and we're going to ruin your credit. And that's how the city finance department has chosen to implement this entire policy. Now, how do you solve it? You have to file by Monday, March 1st. All you have to do is go online, either download the form, and you file for, if you haven't done this before, you have to file for a business license. If you are, if there's any possibility that you could make cash income of any kind, you need to file for a business license. Now, you may sit there and go, well, I haven't made any cash income. I don't think I'm going to be making cash income. But if you do an equity waiver play and they reimburse you for your gas mileage or for your props, you just made cash income. If you somehow get paid as a model and someone decides they're going to shoot your feet or they shoot your hands or they pay you in cash and you report it, you just made cash income. If you do uh, a, a small independent film and they pay you a couple hundred dollars, you just made cash income. You never know 
how you may end up getting paid in cash. And of course, if you have a business of some kind where they pay you in cash, the bottom line is just get the darn license. And then every subsequent year after that, they'll send you a reminder. Now, the first year you file, you qualify under what they call the new business exemption. <laughs> so an exemption means it doesn't cost you anything. And the new business exemption is for anybody who makes up to $500,000. So the chances are pretty good that most people are not going to be making $500,000. So don't worry about it. It's not going to cost you anything. The second year, you may qualify under what's called the small business exemption. That's up to $100,000. Or if you are an actor, a model, a writer, or something like that in the creative arts, you may qualify for the creative arts, creative artists exemption, and that's for income up to $300,000. So the reality is it's not going to cost you anything if you file before the end of February. However, it could cost you a lot of time, effort, and energy and money if you don't file because they're, kind of, they're going to come after you if you end up paying right. it. I want to talk about this, uh, this Schedule C you keep, making, uh, you keep mentioning because we, we, we haven't really talked about you know, what that is specifically. And correct me if I'm wrong, but it's basically the way that you submit your deductions against the 1099s. Is that correct? Well, I don't want to get too, too deep into a discussion about how to actually fill out the tax returns because that can be incredibly right. overwhelming. I was just asking for a definition no, I understand of that. If you make cash income, you have to report that income on the Schedule C, and you are entitled to write your deductions against that specific income on a Schedule C. So if I have a carpentry business, and I'm a carpenter, and I'm building just, say, cabinets, I have income for that business, and then I can write off all the expenses directly against that business. If I were a model, I have expenses for a Z card or for pictures and for traveling out to those auditions and the like, then I can write those expenses directly against that specific income. Um, I can't write those expenses as an actor model against the carpentry expenses. Those are two different, entirely different fields. Right. So I have to be careful not to mix those up. Where there's a problem for performers is where I get cash income as a performer and cash in, and W-2 income as a performer. Understandably, most actors come to Los Angeles to make their living as a union performer and all union performances are paid under a W-2. Right. Now, that doesn't preclude the fact that some, in some cases you could get paid for 1099 work. Not necessarily the same kind of work, but you could get 1099 income and then I still have to allocate my expenses against my income. And in that case, then I have to write my expenses off in two different forms in two different ways. The same kind of expenses that may work on a Schedule C will work on a different form directly against my W-2 income. I don't want to get too specific here and overwhelm them with, right. with facts and figures. But right. I also want to talk about vehicles because this is Los Angeles. And I don't want to get into too many specifics, but you know, being that we are in LA, everybody drives everywhere and we're always in our cars. Um, and there's so much talk. I mean, you'll hear actors talk about, you know, what they can and cannot write off when it comes to their cars. Um, I've heard from people that there's two different ways of writing off, you know, your vehicle expenses. Let's put it this way. The car, your car expenses, your agent expenses, your classes 
are probably the three specific areas if you live in Los Angeles as far as large deduction areas for you as a, as a performer. It used to be that the IRS wanted you to write down your odometer reading. When you got in the car and you drove to the first place you visited, write down your ending odometer reading. That's the little, the numbers in, the, in your car. Your mileage. <laughs> Shall we, some people get a little more speedometer. That's called the odometer and the mileage, if you will. And then you get out of the car, you make your trip, and then you get, your ca- get in your car again, you go to the next location, you write down your odometer, and that's the specific mileage. And, wow. it, and it's overwhelming, if you will, because, but that's the only way we could ever get the mileage. Right. In today's world, with the thing called MapQuest and all the other places that are on the internet, really what you need to do is write down where you went. So how difficult is it to say, I went to Warner Brothers, I went to 20th Century Fox, I went to 200 South La Brea or all the other audition houses that you have. Uh, if you go to XYZ Restaurant for a meeting with your agent, um, I went to Office Depot to pick up a stapler to staple my headshots to my resume. How difficult is it to write it down? Right. It's not at all difficult. And then at the end of the year, you can go in and find out from MapQuest what the distance is from point A to point B. Right. But the real key is to make sure you've written down where you went. And it takes, what, five seconds to write it down? Right. Well, I, I, this is a tip for you guys who are listening. The way that I do this is I um, use my calendar to do this because I just write in my calendar where, I'm, where I went and that way I can go back through my calendar and, and, and then it's organized by, by an actual time frame. What's, what's really <clears throat> frustrating is that people who have these auditions hear that they have an audition the next day. They get told by their agent, you have an audition tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And they write it down. And so you say, so where did you write it down? I don't know. I, I threw it away. <laughs> it was on a sticky note or something. But I've seen people go into to audits with 100 sticky notes or pieces of scratch paper and win the audit simply because they kept that piece of paper. Wow. But the, the key is keep the piece of paper. Right. Write it down in a calendar, keep the piece of paper, put it in a book. The reality is you get that information, you write it down, because if you don't write it down, you don't know where you're going to go tomorrow. Right. Or you get it through the internet. Keep it in your, in, in your internet, keep it in your, in your e-file log, print it out. Do what I do is put everything in a box. I just or, got my box. I, yeah, just went your to, box. I just went to Staples last month and got a box. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever kind of box you want, but periodically print it out. I suggest you put it in an envelope and mail it to yourself, but then don't open that envelope because that is that poor that, man's copyright. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> and that's a proof. If you ever get audited, that, that little envelope is proof that at that time that was absolutely accurate because the actual forms, the actual documents from the IRS says they want it contemporary, which means at the time. And the difficulty was that you can't go in with computerized records because they believe that you can change them literally the next day, which you can't. So two years from today, you can go into your BlackBerry and, and add all sorts of auditions. This is the way to prove that at the time, it was as current as it is when you go into the to the actual audit. So that's one way of, of dealing with it. If I'm not asking you to keep a book anymore because how many people keep a day-to-day book? Right. There are some people who still do. So download it into your computer sure periodically. Honest, Just yeah. make sure. And then, as dumb as it sounds, put it all into a file, 
a folder on your computer, and they get one of those flash disks. Mm-hmm. They're a four gigabyte or an eight gigabyte. Mm-hmm. They're less than twenty dollars now. Mm-hmm. And periodically, copy to the flash disk. So even if the hard drive goes down, you now have everything on a flash disk, and put the flash disk in your box. Mm-hmm. You're all set. You're ready to go. Nice. You can keep all of your tax records on a four gigabyte flash disk for less than ten bucks now. Hey everybody, welcome to the post-interview segment of episode 182. I hope you enjoyed part one of AJ's chat with the incomparable Chuck Sloan of Chuck Sloan and Tax Associates. I have to say, I have a lot of friends who do their own tax. They use TurboTax or they use, um, you know, something like H&R Block online or whatever. They just go to like a regular old tax person. And I wanted to just jump in here. This is perfect timing because I just got my taxes done at Chuck Sloan and Associates last week. I went to go see a woman named Lindsay Thompson, who I highly recommend anybody who hasn't done their taxes yet that is thinking, maybe I should go to a tax professional this year. Check out Lindsay Thompson over at Chuck Sloan and Associates. You can just call and make an appointment with her. I just wanted to outline kind of two reasons that I think it is a, just a great idea to go to a tax person. Because I think it's like 200 bucks if you go and have them do your taxes in February, and then it kind of goes up from there. I think March, they charge you 220 April, they charge you 230 And you look at something like TurboTax online, and you're like, oh, it's only 70 bucks for like the deluxe version. I'll just do that. But here's why I think you shouldn't do that. And number one, two reasons. Number one is education. Sitting down with a tax person, a qualified tax professional that specializes not just in taxes, but in, in creative people's taxes and people who, in working with people who have a, a diverse source of income, lots of 1099 work, lots of self-employment stuff, maybe they've got a few part-time gigs. You're going to have like six or seven of these forms. Sitting down with one of these people, they can educate you on what to do next time, how to adjust the numbers on your W-2s for your part-time work, how much money to be putting aside, what kind of deductions you should be keeping track of so that you can maximize your tax return in the future. That kind of stuff is absolutely invaluable. I don't think you're going to be able to get the sort of comprehensive information you'll need as a creative person for your finances from a TurboTax. Maybe maybe you can, but I can't imagine that you'd be able to sit down with someone and do a, an in-depth Q&A and have your, your, specific, your specific situational questions answered. Uh, and I actually just want to tell a quick story. I had a friend a couple years ago that was like, you got to go see my, my, my tax person. She works at H&R Block or one of those places. And she's great, you know, like she'll get, I got like $3,000 back from her last year and she's just fantastic. So go to her, she'll help you out. So I went to her and I had, you know, my six or seven tax forms from like some extra work I did and a TV spot I did and some voiceover stuff and my 1099 work with, with, with uh, animation demos and film editing and I had my part-time gigs. And I went to her and she said, she was like blown away that, that uh, I would have this many pieces of, of, of information for her. And she said it was going to cost me 500 bucks for her to process all of those. And I said, 500 bucks, you know, I can go to my, my actor tax person. They, 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 do it for, they do it for 200. And she was like flabbergasted. She was like, that's not possible. She was like, nobody would do this for $200. You need to double check the legitimacy of that person. And I've been going to Chuck Sloan for years and I know that they're legit. They have all the right accrediting and all that stuff. So uh, there's that. You know, you, you're, you're seeing somebody for a really great price that knows how to handle all that stuff. 
and handle it well. And uh, and just a regular old tax person isn't going to know the ins and outs, and they're going to look at all the forms you have, and they're going to say, oh, my God, I can't do this. Here's the other part. If you go to the same person over and over again, they'll be able to kind of uh, advise you, as I said earlier. They'll be able to advise you on, on how to kind of handle your business and your finances and the things you track for years forward. But also, I found that this year, my taxes went so quickly because a lot of my information was kind of pre-populated from years past in their system. So a lot of things, a lot of deductions and whatnot that I may have had to explain to a separate tax person, they just carried over from last year. And I was able to claim additional deductions based on things. And so I'm getting a really nice return this year uh, on income that's, you know, not a lot of money. And that is almost all independent contractor work. And she helped me maximize my numbers where they needed to be maximized, minimize them where they need to be minimized. And I got a really healthy return. Uh, so it's a smart investment on many, many levels to go to see somebody at Chuck Sloan. Uh, and I just wanted to put that out there because uh, I'm fresh off the experience and it was great. It's been great every year. I have never owed more money than when I did my taxes with uh, with uh, TurboTax. And mm. I have never gotten more back than when I have done it with Chuck's Loan and Associates. So awesome. anyway, I know this sounds like a giant commercial for it, but it's really less about them specifically and more about the fact that there are very few games in town that do taxes for actors specifically and they'll even do it remotely like i yeah. you know we filed actually jasmine and i both filed our taxes with them from new york um this year so awesome there you have it and you know we we you know aj and i both have personal experience with tuck sloan chuck sloan but we interviewed some people from actor tax prep i think aj you actually sat down with them Back in like episode 50 something. 48. 48. Okay. So yeah. So they're great too. There's lots of options for creative uh, people to have their taxes done. And and we're only advocating Chuck Sloan because we both have personal experience. But that's not to say that actor tax prep or somebody similar is not also fantastic. Both of these websites, Chuck Sloan and Associates, I can't, I think it's just, excuse me. I think it's just ChuckSloan.com and then actor tax prep or actors tax prep or actor tax prep or something.com. Both websites are chock full of really great resources too so even if you don't live in los angeles or you or you don't want to file with them or or you know you're looking to file remotely you can check out their websites as well there's a ton of information on both of their websites that are really great for actors absolutely um, and other artists that are doing their taxes yeah and they do a good job of breaking it down into um you know regular person speak it's not all legalese you know yes or Taxalies, <laughs> taxalies, financialies, <laughs> financialies, yeah, moneylies. Yes. Anyway, uh, picks of the week. What the hell is Acorns? <gasps> I can't believe you haven't heard of this. You of no. all people, Trev. You what of all Acorns? people. This is AJ's pick of the week, and I'm going to look it up right now. Acorns. Acorns. It's an app and a service. Um, their app is available for all platforms, so I don't have to feel guilty about this one. It's on iOS, it's on Android, it's even on Amazon. And they have a website, a web version of their service coming soon. <clears throat> and they're also gonna be going international soon, which is crazy to me. But basically, it's like an investment firm, like a like a money managing firm, like a um, Merrill Lynch or something like that. But the way that they invest your your money is not by you just like giving them a ton of money. You do it by setting it up so that it's connected to any number of credit cards or debit cards or whatever that you have. It rounds up the change on every single transaction that you make and it counts out 
it, it lumps all that change up until it gets to a certain point. I think it's over $5. And then it um, deposits that $5 plus into your Acorns account that is being invested in pretty much any way that you feel you want to invest. So for instance, I'm still pretty young. So I've elected to do an aggressive portfolio, but you can also do a conservative portfolio. And you can also invest additional money on top of the change that goes in if you want to. So essentially, you're, you know, it's part of it's part of investing, saving, putting away money, putting aside money for retirement or rainy day or emergencies or whatever, but you're do, you're not just putting it into a savings account, you're investing it at the same time. So I don't have a lot of money in this because I just started uh, in the fall of last year. And because I don't have a lot of money in there, I'm not getting a huge return yet. So far, um, you know, I've, I think I've only gotten like 44 cents or something as far as back from my investment. But the amount of money that's actually in the account is much, 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 much more than that because it's taking this little bits of change all the time and investing it into this account. So it's sort of like creating a savings account, but you are going to get some return on the savings account because it's all being invested into uh, various uh, money markets, hedge funds and um, mutual funds and stocks and what have you. And you don't even notice this. You don't even notice it because it's just grabbing a few cents here and there from your your transaction. So it rounds up to the nearest dollar and takes the difference and puts it in correct and then you can choose the kind of yeah i'm looking at the website here automated portfolio man this is my jam <laughs> i know this I, is that's awesome why i'm like i can't believe you haven't heard of this yet um this is perfect timing too i'm just going to jump in here real fast because i've been i, I subscribed to this email series from ynab uh, who was a listener pick a long time ago from one of our listeners it might even have been uh lee vang i think yeah you need but, a budget uh, yeah, so I downloaded the software. I paid for it. It's like sixty bucks or something. It's really, really great. But they just started this email series on investing, and I'm just on I'm on day two or three right now. So I'm learning. I don't know anything about investing. I got to be honest. I'm ignorant when it comes to this stuff. So I'm learning about this, and now this app comes out that this is perfect. I'm gonna yeah. put a link to uh, that YNAB investment email series <laughs> in our on our show notes as well. That'd be a great combo. This plus sure. that. Yeah, I, I've been looking at YNAB recently. Um, Thinking about uh, paying the sixty bucks, getting the software, and 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 setting it up so that Jasmine and I use that to manage our budget. Yeah. But it's, uh, I mean, just from just from reading their website and watching their videos, great great service. I also have a link that can get you ten percent off. So I'll post, I'll send that to you, and I'll also post that on our website for our listeners. If you use the link on our website, you'll get ten percent off the uh, purchase price of the software, the YNAB software. I yeah. like it. What is your pick of the week, my friend? So my pick of the week is a book. I'm about halfway through it. It's, uh, it's called The Art of Asking, How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Let People Help by Amanda Palmer. She is kind of like a, a champion or a hero for a lot of creative people. She had a great TED Talk on asking. She was one of the very first people to raise like in the millions of dollars uh, range for her Kickstarter for funding her, her most recent album. And uh, she did a TED talk about you know how she built a relationship with her fans such that that kind of thing just happened automatically. And the book is kind of part memoir, part sort of meditation on the give and take, the sort of generosity, reciprocity of art making. 
it's really just a really warm, nice, uh, self-affirming read on on what art is and what it does to people and, 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 and just the goodness that's in people. So highly recommend it. Uh, link on our website. So that's The uh, Art of Asking, the book and the TED Talk and acorns.com, which is my new favorite app and I haven't even installed it yet. Awesome. So our patron of the week is a gentleman named William Beaumont. He was born in Santa Monica, California. He's a local boy, but he moved to Germany at a very young age. He spent his formative years in Munich before moving to Edinburgh, Edinburgh, Scotland. I was never sure how to say that. You said it right the second time. Edinburgh. It's yeah. like it's like a uh, thing at the end. Edinburgh. Edinburgh. But it's not borough. It's like a. It's like in between, right? <laughs> Edinburgh. Yes. Scotland. Keep going. Uh, Keep so he moved there. He. Jeez, <laughs> man. He moved there to study, uh, and he says that life initially led him on a detour through a 15-year career as a software engineer and a business exec- executive. Uh, But then he returned to his roots, which is his passion for acting. Uh, During his time in the United Kingdom, he attended Edinburgh Acting School part-time before uh, making the decision to pursue it full-time as a career. You can find out more about him at wjbeaumont.org. The spelling of that is on our website. He's also on Twitter at wj underscore Beaumont, and he's on Facebook, too. Hit up our website, uh, either the patron section on our website or soon to be the membership section uh, or uh, just under the show notes to find out more about William. He sounds like he's an awesome dude that's up to some cool stuff. Today's episode of Inside Acting was produced and co-hosted by yours truly, A.J. Meyer, and, of course, Trevor Algat. Jen Levin is our production coordinator. Gadali Guberek is our marketing and web director. Jasmine Bristow is our director of public relations. And Deborah Smith is our community manager. Trevor Algat composed our music. You can sign up for our free, free, free weekly dispatch. You can sign up for our email dispatch, uh, which comes out every week and it's free. There you go. And listen to all of our recent episodes at our website, InsideActingPodcast.com. You can also find us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, or pretty much wherever you go to get your podcasts. A huge thank you and shout out to our sponsors, VO2Gogo.com and Rehearsal 2. And thanks to you, of course, our listeners. If you love Inside Acting and you want to help keep the show going, you can sign up as a monthly patron slash member. And get cool perks like access to our exclusive online members-only mastermind group, which will be launching, dun-dun-dun-dun, we have a date, Tuesday, March 31st, a.k.a. episode 185, 183, what is that? Um, So we're beta testing it right now, we talked about that in the last episode. You can also get, as a member, freebies and discounts on merchandise and other upcoming podcast offerings and much, much more. Just visit InsideActingPodcast.com. Click on the Patron tab on the right. If you can't find a Patron tab, it's because we have changed it to Membership tab. It's on the right-hand side. Look for that. Awesome. And that's it for Episode 182 of Inside Acting. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, acorns! Acorns!